This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where you guys know what we do. <laughs> Everybody's like, thank God you're not going to mention it one more God, time. Not again. Yes. So let's just get to it. <laughs> okay. Daniele is feeling pretty good today. I have I'm a little excited. pep in my step. Not Man. a big pep, but a little pep, and it feels good. And your brain is working pretty well? It's getting there. It's getting better. Yeah. I just, I get really, really tired after, like pretty quickly, like very quickly, but in my brain, which is a weird way to, weird thing to describe. Well, I suggest um, we just jump right to it. Okay. Get tired. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to spend all the time talking about something that's not directly pertaining to investing, which is super important right now. Yeah. For lots um, of reasons. Give us two reasons. Uh, I'll give you a long-term reason and a short-term reason. Okay. Fabulous. Yes. All right. Which one do you want first? Long-term. Okay. Long-term reason is that uh, we in the United States are on track for a massive dollar failure in the long run Mm -hmm. um, that we can't possibly pay our debts and therefore we will default at some time in the future. And the most likely method of default is well underway, um, as those of you around the world are watching us print uh, $4 trillion in 2010. We printed $2 trillion already this year. Um, the House is likely to print another $3 trillion right off the bat when Biden gets in. And um, the GDP of America is only 18 to $20 trillion a year. So we're talking about adding... 25% more just paper into the system than we're actually producing, even in terms of sales, not to mention wealth. Uh, the result of that is very predictable, and that is a devaluation of the buying power of the U.S. dollar. And the problem with that, for those of you who are living outside the United States, or actually really importantly for those of you who are living inside the United States, because we rarely think about how the dollar stacks up against the you know Swiss franc or something like that, Um, those currencies are already appreciating against the dollar fairly significantly compared to just a couple years ago. And they they will eventually get to a point, if this continues, they will reach a point, they being the central banks in Europe, Japan, China, uh, around the world, where they just simply don't want to trade in dollars anymore because if you're holding dollars in the central bank, those dollars are depreciating at a rate which makes it um, makes it uh, difficult to justify holding them. And if that happens, somebody is going to go to a gold standard. That's that's it. nobody's going to go to a different currency because it, it, there's no reason to trust the Europeans any more than than you should have trusted the Americans or the Chinese or the Japanese in terms of of using the advantage of being the world's reserve currency and simply printing money to pay their bills which is what the United States has done 
uh, to the distress of everybody who's believing in the dollar. And so it's so, not going to be another currency. It'll be gold. It, and I, mean, I don't think there's any other choice. It's not going to be Bitcoin. Nobody's going to trust a bunch of digits in, a, in, a, in some world computer named Yoshi or something. It's, I think that's a big claim that it's going to go back to gold somehow rather than how, a different currency. But regardless, yeah. how does that get us to investing in the oh, stock market gosh. or, in, or First, in anything else? I mean, if it doesn't jump out at you immediately um, that there would be a real problem in investing if that happens, then we need to dive into that a little bit because the biggest issue with um, with this with this currency cha- change over time is that inflation, which is as you're devaluing the currency, you're inflating um, the cost of goods. Right? It costs more and more of that currency to buy something, and you'll and the unions will demand more and more of that currency to work, or they'll strike. And it costs more and more money to buy a foreign good if those foreign currencies aren't depreciating as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ultimately it could be a million dollars to buy a Mercedes. And what would that do to Mercedes? It could be, uh, you know, um, $150,000 to buy an inexpensive Japanese car. What would that do to the Japanese car markets? So you, you really have to understand the impact of inflation on investing. It's dramatic and it's terrible. Um, in some markets that we can point to, uh, inflation destroyed the stock market for 20 years. The rate of return from 1965 until 1983 in the United States stock market, a time of enormous inflation as we went off the gold standard, was zero. A 20-year zero return. So not, not counting dividends. But effectively, given that there was inflation at a very high rate, um, at the end of the 70s, the U.S. Treasury notes, uh, the 30-year um, ballpark 1981 to 84, it was pushing toward 15% returns, the 30-year. Right now, it's at 2 Okay. So, <laughs> so okay. impact Let's just, from the beginning. So long-term reason to get into, to start thinking about investing, why investing is so important right now relates to potential currency devaluation of the dollar, potentially getting uh, some countries going to the gold standard, maybe the U.S., maybe others, potentially, you don't think this is likely, but potentially another country becoming the reserve currency of the world, and high inflation, lots of uh, negative consequences for the money we hold. And the investing part of that is... Well, if we get the 70s again, then those of you who are just sitting in the stock market in a broad diversified fund doing exactly what they tell you to do will have a disaster. You'll be in a, there we a go. position. That of, was your point with the market going, getting yeah, market net goes zero. Sideways while the market's going sideways, zero appreciation in your dollar. So you put in $100,000 in the middle 1960s and at the end of that, the 70s decade, you have $100,000. The problem is it only buys $50,000 worth of stuff. So you went backwards with, with, a, with your buying power dramatically, and that would massively affect your life if you're a retiree. Uh, it would affect your life no matter what you're doing because that uh, big hole doesn't get filled up later as you're investing. You lost half of that money in terms of buying power. So we got to... Whereas... Gotta, whereas 
uh, Warren Buffett made billions during the 70s. That was probably his best era as an investor. Um, and the reason for that is because as the market starts to recognize that there are serious uh, structural problems with the currency, then it gets volatile. It starts to really move around. The market went from 1,000 on the Dow peak in 1965 down 40 to 50%, I think 15 times in the next 15 years. Jeez, I mean, it was just like banging down, you know, maybe 30% down or something, but 30 to 50, I think, I think 10 to 15 times. So you could just look it up on a chart and you can see it going up and down like a yo-yo. Um, and so if you have some sense of understanding when things are on sale and when they're not, this is a time when you can ex just re what rule one type investors just crushed the market in that environment. So it's so. Uh, no. Hmm. That's the long-term reason. That's the long-term reason. What's the short-term reason? Okay, the short-term reason is that um, the short-term reason is that we are going to see, um, as a result of this election, we are going to see some dramatic changes in um, in fiscal policy and in tariffs with China and interactions with all of our neighbors. All of those things are going to create uh, a lot of short-term volatility. So even as we start into this, we've seen immediately the market took off like a scared rabbit straight up. Um, now it's leveled out. And we'll see as a result of the corona, we, we have some phenomenal news on the coronavirus here just yesterday. With the vaccines. Um, with the vaccines. And if you're a Trump conspiracy fan, this is like really feeding the fire because they came out with this both the Eli Lilly antibody vaccine and oh well, that uh, one's not a vaccine. That's a what's it called? Antibody cocktail to try to produce um, antibodies faster in your body once you've got the virus. Yeah, and they've just come out and they're going to start making that widely available. Um, yeah, I was like, where was that three months ago, guys? Thanks yeah, a lot. I was laughing. Danielle is just finishing <laughs> off COVID here, just while everything is starting to happen for, for finishing off COVID. So. She's, uh, That's the she's way it goes. The parade, you know, I think though about the people who had it like in March when we didn't even know what it was hardly. And I had it much better than those people. So like yeah, in terms of treatment, not in terms of true, the virus. True, so, true. so I think um, we're, we're, we're not at the end, but we're seeing the end. And, um, and it's really extraordinary how, how geared up the federal government is in the U S to, uh, get this vaccine out, how they've already kind of determined who they're going to get it out to first. Uh, they've got, I mean, they've got everything all the way down to dry ice ready to go. The um, whole first world is doing that. Yeah. yeah. Which means it's going to be rapidly disseminated. And they think really by March, everybody in the United States will have uh, the vaccine if they want it by March. Hmm. They, they talked about that today on CNBC. Um, Azar, who's the head of health and, health and safety or something. Anyway, well, so I think that brings up coherent. a point that I constantly think about with with this sort of investing style is how do you take these things that you see happening in the short term? And none of us know what the future is, as you say all the time and use them to invest for the long term. It's like so, a sort of constant yin and yang of like, 
do I use this stuff? Do I not? How does it really like, and I always come down to, it doesn't really relate except in maybe giving me a good price temporarily that I can use, um, on a company that I want or, you know, for people doing real estate or something on a house that I want, although that's not happening around the world. (laughs) You're right. It doesn't relate except that it just gives you an occasional great price for a short period of time. Yeah. That's the okay. whole point. Because it kind of drives exactly me crazy. That's exactly how we invest. Because like I, you know, I also talk to other long-term investors and they're always talking about like what's going on right now. And I'm always kind of like, why are you spending your time on this? And then I think, well, maybe I should be spending my time on this. But then I just kind of think like, why? No, they're, they're trying to guess where the market's going to go. And this Yeah, is, exactly. That's what everybody's trying to do. Right. And, and so... Um, you know, aside from the long-term really nasty looking weather that we've got out there as a result of the United States failing in its duties to protect the dollar as a world's reserve currency, um, besides that small, that small problem, um, the, the market is, you know, the market is just the weather we're in. It doesn't really, all we know from the market is that it, because it gets into bad weather, it gets into a stormy weather it starts to rain gold. It, it really just produces mm-hmm. companies on sale. That's or it sucks all, that all the gold up into the clouds getting ready to rain because yesterday, yeah. which was what, November 9th, Monday, yeah. November 9th, yesterday was the second highest day for the S&P 500 ever. Yeah. And companies like completely uh, nuts. Gosh, Carnival Cruise Lines went up almost what, almost forty percent. Carnival so, went up thirty nine percent. Right, because people because of the vaccine news, because people started thinking, oh, we're going to tr- start traveling again. Right. It's just it's, such a. By the way, it's just like this whole situation is such a case study for the way you describe and use events. And I just want to point that out because it's like, it cannot get any clearer. Like the reason that we all talked skeptically about travel companies was because we didn't know, we still don't know if they'll come out of, uh, of this situation without needing government help to the point where their stock is adversely permanently affected. And we still don't know if that is going to happen or not, but right. Assuming they don't end up like selling half their stock to the government or something or go into bankruptcy and restructuring, they might totally just have this dip and come out like that could totally happen. (laughs) It it is happening. And it's funny because it's not done yet. We don't know. You can look at it. And and we, we obviously we meaning, you know, my fund just we looked deeply at Carnival. We've always liked Carnival. And decided to pass, mostly because of my experience with company, you know, one-time experience, but very shocking experience to have a company get itself into debt that it didn't normally have, and then use that as an excuse to eliminate all the rest of the debt that it does normally have and through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceeding. And I just don't put it past these, um, these management teams to decide to do that unless they are founders, you know, they have a huge amount of, uh, you know, stock in the company. There's something there to prevent them from turning into traders and um, taking advantage of U.S. bankruptcy laws. So we we don't, since we invest heavily in single companies, right, we're not 
scattering our money across a hundred different companies that we couldn't possibly keep on top of. Mm-hmm. We're, we're focused on 10, right? And so we, uh, we really want to be sure that we are, we are buying 10 companies that aren't going to go bankrupt. We, mm-hmm. that's the one deadly thing that can happen to us. <laughs> That'd be funny if that's like all that the standard was. Will this go bankrupt? Will this go bankrupt? Or not? Yeah. Well, that's sort of the downside standard. And, <laughs> and when we looked at these companies, realizing that America, you know, the airlines companies, the travel companies, we just didn't know. The level of uncertainty was too great even for us. And so we're looking for companies that are in a problem that's going to last a year to three years. And we have a a very high degree of certainty that it's going to be over in three years and it's going to be over without them needing to resort to bankruptcy courts. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the kinds of companies we like. And so the best way to do that is to avoid companies with debt. You, you just want to avoid debt. So um, it's it's really it's really not difficult. It's like you, you basically use this big change in the market that's we we call that change volatility, the movement up and down. And as Danielle said, you know, the market's sucking up all the gold right now as it rockets off into this new new level. And when that's happening, we're a seller. We look to sell stuff into that environment. And, um, you know, at this point in time, we've sold most everything, although a couple of things that we bought in March are just so high now, I'm thinking about selling them. But we're not a buyer in that market unless just something unusual happens and we have access to a great company at a cheap price, which could happen in any market. It's when the volatility goes the other way, where the sky just bursts open and down comes the gold, because then everything goes on sale. I mean, you can throw a dart and, and hit good companies, great companies that are on sale. And so in this podcast, what we do is try to focus on the critical aspects of a company and then to know to know we understand this business well and that we want to buy it at a certain kind of price and we wait for that price. And so this volatility that's headed toward us on the short term might take the market much higher in the long term and we are going to hit the wall, and there's no question about it. I, I don't think, in my mind, um, that it's going to have an economic storm as we come toward more and more money, money printing, and the government, the world just won't put up with it. They're either going to print money like crazy, we're going to a heavy inflation spiral everywhere in the world as everyone tries to get rid of its debt by monetizing it. Monetizing it means you just print money, and and if you owe somebody a hundred dollars. Um, and your salary doubles because of inflation, then you get to pay them back with cheaper money. And it's mm-hmm. like super easy to pay off your debt. So a lot of things fall out of that. One of them is, strangely, um, this is a time when interest rates are at 1% and 2% where you'd want to take on a lot of debt. If, you, if you're looking down the road toward a heavy inflation period that's coming, um, you'll do better if you've leveraged your, your, your money by having by adding debt because you're so paying for, it back with cheaper money right so, so for example paying, if you the numbers have, don't change you're paying the same amount but the money is worth less so you're right. paying technically with less money so dave ramsey will hate this but you know he's really strongly into having people you know encouraging people to get rid of debt including their house get their house all paid off um but if you're not if you're not already wealthy and you want to become wealthy and you want to take on risk, one of the safest ways to take it on is to add debt right here when 
when interest rates are so low. So you might go out and re remortgage your house and, and let's say you take $100,000 out of it and now you owe 80% of the current value of your house. Well, a couple of things. Inflation, they're very likely to take the value of your house or the price of your house higher, right? Real estate does fairly well in inflationary environments, particularly when interest rates are down around zero. And so you get that benefit, but on top of that, you now have use of this capital at a very low interest rate, right? You're paying two or 3%. You have use of this capital to buy great companies with, which might appreciate at 15% a year. So you're, you're, you're paying out three and you're taking in 15, you're netting 12 with leverage. This isn't even your money and you're making 12% a year on it. This is something that Warren Buffett is so good at and people don't realize he's so good at it as a way of ma pretty significantly increasing the rate of return at Berkshire by using other people's money, effectively borrowed money that comes into the insurance company and says, here's my premium, right? Mm -hmm. Hold on to my premium and then pay me if I get a wrecked car at Geico. And Buffett takes, I think he's got, geez, what is it last year? Um, oh, man. It was $20 billion not very long ago, and it's probably a lot more now. But he's basically got this huge pile of cash, which he can make, you know, 10% a year on, that isn't his. And that 10% goes right in the pocket of Berkshire Hathaway. It's so called the float, the insurance the float. float. Exactly. And every insurance company has it. Berkshire just uses it in a particular way, thanks to yeah, Buffett. Yeah, most insurance companies are not successful at, you know, taking in enough money to cover what they have to pay out. Um, they, they don't, they don't, um, price the risk properly. And so they get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And Buffett's company is so good at pricing the risk that they make money as an insurance company, which means they don't need the float, which is awesome. Then can I can ask you though about that time? And I don't know if you've done this research. If you haven't, then I might go do it because I'm really curious now. When you said that in, what was it? The 70s roughly, but there was a 20 year period where the market essentially did Went zero. Sideways. Yeah. 65 to 83. Okay. Um, and you said Buffett was buying and selling during that time. Now he is very known for buying and holding. Do you, have you ever Done, do you remember any stats or have you done the research on how many times he bought and sold in that period? Because um, I'm a bit not, struck not that, that you said that he did so well by selling so much when he typically doesn't really sell very much. He actually sells a lot more than he lets on. Um, he gets rid of stuff that doesn't turn out to be as good as he thought he would. Yeah, but, but that's different that than making money in... A market that's otherwise going sideways and selling at the top and buying at the bottom. Right. Fair enough. And no, I haven't done that work, but it'd be very interesting. To I might see. go look that up after this because now I'm really curious about it. I can tell you this. When he started off as an investor in 1955 on his own with his first Buffett partnership, mm -hmm. all the way through to the middle 1960s, so at least 10 years, when he was at the same stage as many of our students are, right? They're just starting out. They're maybe maybe putting together their first partnership and, and, and raising capital when they've started to get a, a little track record. Buffett consciously sold when the stock price got up within about 
10, 20 to, 10 to 20% of intrinsic value. He got out. Mm-hmm. So he was very um, active relative to where he's at now. So back then in those days, he was building portfolios. He was uh, you know, trying to achieve very high rates of return. Today, he's trying to protect a portfolio yeah. and have good rates of return. The, the difference is massive. The difference like, is massive, and it's a very different market than it was then. So his choices will be different, of course, or else he wouldn't be who he is. I'm not sure it's that. There were certainly, okay, oh, fair enough. We're coming out of World War II, so obviously there's a massively different market. Wait, the market had been at 100. No, this is 1955. Oh, when he started right? the, yeah. So just 10 years after the war. So everything was growing like crazy. And, and you know, you, he was at a, a time, he and Charlie talk about it recently, that it's just so much harder now because there's so much more information. Yeah, so many yeah. more people understand yeah. what good investing looks like and are practicing it. Um, but in those days, he said it was just like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> and was, so many people don't know anything about investing and are still practicing it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so um, as a result of that, so many people practicing what they think is investing, the market just keeps going up, right? And now the market... Recently, I saw something that said that... Um, that the market is approximately twice as high as it would be if the Federal Reserve wasn't pouring cash into the market. In other words, if they weren't buying... Yeah, that makes total sense to me. ...bad bonds, and if they weren't buying mortgages, if they weren't buying treasury notes, if they weren't pouring cash into into the market, then it would be half of where it is now. And that makes sense with regard to all the the uh, sort of ratios that we look at, like the Wilshire GDP ratio we've talked about, is double what it would rationally be. Yeah, meaning yeah. That the yeah. market's priced twice as high as it should be relative to GDP. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot coming in here that says that this market is simply, you know, it's on a drug, it's on a manic drug that is cranking it, and that drug eventually runs out. It has to. Gravity will reassert itself economically. And when that happens, we're going into the depressive side of Mr. Market's personality. And what we want you guys to do as a result of listening to this and starting to learn and read and understand that investing really is only the kinds of things we're talking about. It, it, everything else is some form of speculation, including just buying the market you know, buying indexes, putting your money in a 401k and buying a big, broadly diversified thing. In other words, doing everything they tell you to do out there as financial advisors are telling you to do is just broadly speculating that the markets always go up. I have to just say that what Buffett tells people to do is buy the S&P 500. I have to say that after you said that. And the reason he says that that is that he believes it's investing in the future of the U.S., and that you would have to hold it for a very long time, perhaps, to see a return, see a decent return anyway. So when it's, people say stuff like what you just said, the instant thought is, but Buffett says to buy the S&P. So I have to say that. Okay, you said that. And I and I agree that he does say to do that if you don't want to put in the time to become a good investor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's that caveat, right? Because he's been teaching investing for 60 years. He's not just you know wasting his time he's trying to tell people no, this how is you for go people who this. don't want to spend the time or can't people who or don't whatever spend the time yep buy the index what else are you going to do really i mean you can't sit on cash but i think it's, it's an important clear. point because a lot of people have said that to me and 
and said, you know, like Buffett says, basically just do that, forget about it. And isn't that, um, you know, kind of a waste or speculating or something. And it's not, I truly believe that he's recommending that because he sees it. And I agree as an investment, it's a conscious educated choice to put your money in companies that are the leading 500 companies of the USA. And well, it's not you, an investment. It's, I think pure, so. It's just speculation with a brain. I mean, that's the idea, right? You have some idea about why you want to do this as opposed to putting your money on red in Las Vegas. So, but you don't, you're not looking at the value of the thing. Investing is, like Lee Lu says it like this investing is only that practice of knowing the value of the thing and buying it for less than that. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. And that's something that he doesn't mention, but I think that's actually a really good point that and if you're buying at the top of the you. market, you may, you may still not do that well on the future of America. A hundred percent. In fact, by Buffett's own metric on what the market will do in the future, um, it will do far less than what it's done in the past. And it, it basically is going to do maybe 4% plus, you know, plus 2% inflation. It might do 6%. That's total, including dividends and everything else. So and that's if things work out well in the long, long, long run. If we get the economic storm that Warren himself is predicting, yeah. then you'll be very sorry that you just put your money in the stock market and let it sit there. You're going to get just crushed. And you may be crushed for two decades. It would not be it would not be outside our range of history and experience in the stock market in the last 140 years that you have a two decade uh, event here. Yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. Right? Who knows? Like no, who knows exactly? And I feel like when we get into these like giant prognostications, it's like people have been saying this for a while, you know. So I just go back to choose individual investments. Know that I bought it at a good price. <laughs> Don't do you predict do what why, the heck is going to happen in this giant world of ours with sudden pandemics and who knows what is coming around the corner. So no, we don't know. I don't know. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to get into the business of thinking that I might know something about what's going to happen in the future. No, that's fair. Um, that, that's fair. Although I do, I think it's also fair that you can have a, you can have an idea. Yeah, right? I agree. I agree. Like, I mean, you know, don't stick your head in the sand about right. general. I mean, you general got guys life. like Ray Dalio who have a very strong opinion about what's going to happen and are broadly criticized for it. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I pay attention. These agree. guys are not, they, they're worth paying attention to. They're worth and, paying attention to for sure. And, and he's a I macro investor. That's his whole jam his whole thing. And he's really good at it. And, and so I'm, I'm paying attention for one more reason too. And that is that I really like to own things that are going to do well, even in the storm. In fact, they mm -hmm. might do better in the storm. I know that I love Nick. I love Nicholas Taleb's concept of being an anti-fragile investor. Mm hmm. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that Warren is very much an anti-fragile investor. I think his actual investment purchases are designed to carry through some very rough times. And they're the kinds of things people will continue to buy. Right. I mean, are people going to going to buy Coca-Cola in a depression? Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Oh, you don't think so? You're shaking your head. People are already buying less Coca-Cola. I think the question is, what about all the other brands that Coca-Cola owns that are not necessarily straight up Coca-Cola? Are they going to keep buying those things? Well, okay. Find, find something that people will continue to buy. Or take a look at, I mean, on that subject, take a look at companies that are going to do well in a storm. So what do you have, what do you have happening when there's an economic storm? You have enormous social unrest because the rich people are not going to be affected particularly by the economic storm and Mm -hmm. the poor people are massively affected by economic storms. The middle class suffers. So you have, you have social unrest that's dramatic. Um, You have war, you know, that's how war starts is, is with big economic dislocations and people are very unhappy and they start to blame their neighbors or whatever. Mm Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You have countries, uh, perhaps like China, which have an enormous population and need to continue growing in order to not have an internal revolution. And they're a totalitarian government, so they can do it with guns and push out they, and push out and look look to blame somebody. So, I mean, right now China is on the border of India, and India is on the border of China, and they're throwing rocks at each other. You know, I would add that, that uh, we have a huge aging population in the world, definitely in the U.S., but in the world, and uh, companies that support aging, medicine, uh, nursing homes, all of the uh, items that people need as they get older, I see that becoming bigger and bigger. That could be, and that's the kind of thing that even if, I mean, it's sad to say, but even if the economic situation is quite bad, people will spend money on those things just to ease their own suffering, to be a little more comfortable. Yep. And I think that at this point in time, it's not crazy to be looking at gold. I mean, particularly because Buffett's company, Berkshire just bought a nice healthy chunk of Barrick gold, which is a mining company. Mm -hmm. And in times of enormous inflation and currency devaluation, gold and gold mining companies and silver um, along with a lot of other commodities, do very well. Mm. They they rise with the inflation. Um, in fact, that's almost the definition of inflation: is the cost of commodities goes up. It is interesting that he bought a mine because the um, the argument against gold for an investor is that it doesn't create any wealth; like it doesn't add anything. It just is, and. Right. Uh, and so he managed to find a way to buy gold without <laughs> falling into that particular issue. <laughs> of exactly. course he did. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that somebody asked him, why, should we buy gold? And he said, well, why would you buy gold? You know, all you can do is hug it. Yeah. You know, it's just, <laughs> he said, wouldn't you rather have, if you took all the gold in the world, it would make a cube that would fit inside a baseball diamond, you know, 60, I guess 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. And, he said, if you took that gold, it took all of that, you could buy 18 of the world's biggest energy companies and all the agricultural land in the world, or rather in America. And he said, which one you'd rather have in a, in a depression? Would you rather have the gold, which doesn't produce anything, or the stuff that people have to have? They have to have energy, they have to have food. Hmm. And, um, and so <laughs> he went out and bought a gold mine, right? I guess never say never would be the rule there. And uh, 
and the, but the gold mine does produce an asset that does produce cash flow to the gold mine. Okay, fair enough. But I would say take that seriously. I mean, I take it seriously that we are headed for volatility on both the short and the long term. Do everything Danielle just said, which is you're not going to be looking at the market per se. It's just the weather that we're in. You will want to build a really good watch list of about 10 companies that you really understand and they're, they're in your wheelhouse. Um, and you are very confident that these companies uh, are not going to have a debt problem, right? Either they have none or it's very small. And that they are going to ride through the economic storm. They're going to be the kinds of things people are going to want to own. They're going to want to buy, right? And um, those are decisions that you kind of have to make on your own. But in general, if you buy good companies um, that have long track records and good management and they don't have, they don't have debt, the chances are they're going to do pretty well um, through an economic downturn. So, and then look at buying some gold. I honestly think, you know, we probably should all be looking at that a little bit right now as a hedge against um, this currency devaluation that's going forward. Gold, not as an investment, but as a currency hedge. You know, hedging Just to is be clear, currency devaluation, not necessarily going forward. It's a speculation by you. I don't think there's... Come on, dad. Yeah. All right. I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. But understand when central banks are printing money, the only way It seems very likely. It's very likely. We understand. I just, I'm protecting you I will say there is one scenario where that doesn't create inflation. And that scenario is that <laughs> the, the scenario losses, of the last 10 years, that scenario, <laughs> that exactly the scenario that, that the losses incurred in the crash mm-hmm. are so significant that you're basically just replacing dollars that disappeared. If that makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but okay. you know, we'll something's happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here um, we are in this great so, changeover politically. Let's see what other <laughs> let's see what other in, interesting I don't know what to call them. Other great investors, other investors that we like to look at. Let's see if they have started buying any of these sort of anti-fragile type of companies that you just so eloquently described. And the way that we can see it is the um quarterly reports, the 10 Qs in the U.S., um, or sorry, the 13 F filings, the 10 Qs are what companies file, the 13 F filings that funds file um, every quarter about what companies they own are going to be out next week on the 17th. So we won't have all of them. We won't have the total up-to-date info by the time this next podcast comes out, but we'll have some of them. And I would like to look at them and see what new stuff people are buying and see if they sort of fall into our um, future proof category. All right, let's do that. Let's do on the 16th. Most of them will be in there. Yeah. And you guys can look them up too. Um, You can find them on the Edgar website, which is the SEC's website. That's the source material. And then there's also a bunch of websites that 
pull that info and um, and publish it. And probably your bo- your brokerage does as well. So there's lots of places to look at it. Strongly urge you to go anywhere but the Edgar website. I strongly urge you to go to the Edgar. <laughs> you, have to be a, you have to be a bloody <laughs> lawyer to understand what they're doing there. Um, I like source a, material. Nerds like source material. Oh, I can't. I can't look at that. Um, <laughs> go to um, so these. Obviously, the Rule One Toolbox has that's RuleOneInvesting.com has uh, has uh, our, our sort of curated guru list. So there's probably 8,000 people that are tracking for these 13F filings, and we're, we put up 46 of them. Um, so we really dug through the pile and said, I'm not really that interested in what most of these guys are doing. Um, they're not rule one investors, but this group is. Uh, Data Roma has a similar group. It's a, we're not exactly overlapped, but it's pretty close, and Data Roma is free. Uh, dataroma.com, quite a good website. And they actually go out and survey the hedge fund managers and get the data in there before it's even filed hmm. uh, sometimes, which is really awesome. Then whalewisdom.com mm-hmm. is another one that, that has uh, quite a lot of data on this kind of thing. Um, Guru Focus charges for their information. They're sort of the original website where you could gather in 13F data, and they have a huge amount of information. Mm-hmm. Um, I still go over to them once in a while to to gather data. Um, so those three sites are the the ones that um, you know you can use if you don't want to use ours. Ours is m- much more limited because we're focused on only a few people. Um, so there you go. Or go do Edgar if you're really a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but those are all very good sources that you just cited. All right. <laughs> cool. All right, everybody. <laughs> I guess it's time for us to talk about gurus next time. And until then, time to go play. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.